Welcome to the Occult London podcast. This is a new podcast dedicated to exploring magic, mysticism, and the Kabbalah, as well as other topics. If you like the podcast, please write a review and rate us on iTunes, as it will really help us to get this message out there. Also, be sure to visit our website at occultlondon.co.uk, where you can subscribe to the show. If anyone has any questions for me, then I would love to hear from them, so please reach out via Facebook or an email, as I'd love to answer your questions. You can find my Facebook on the show notes, or alternatively, email me at occultlondonpodcast at gmail.com. As you've seen with the previous few episodes, we've been talking about different magical rites. Uh, in the previous one, we just discussed the hexagram rituals of so the Lester Banishing ritual, the hexagram, and the greater rituals of the hexagram. In today's episode, I wanted to just continue on with that hexagram stuff, um, just talking a little more, bit more about the symbol of the hexagram and why it's important and why it's been used in uh, the Western mystery tradition with regards to the symbolism, etc. A hexagram, which is a Greek word, or sexagram, Latin, is a six-pointed geometric star um, consisting of a compound figure of two equilateral triangles interlocked. The intersection is a regular hexagon, and the hexagram is part of a series of shapes that are compounds of n-dimensional simples. In three dimensions, the analogous compound is therefore a stellated octahedron, and in four dimensions, the compound of two five cells is obtained. The hexagram is a kind of unique shape in geometry um, to obtain equidistant points that are an equal distance from each other. It cannot be drawn in a universal manner that is, you can't draw it without lifting and repositioning the pen. Instead, it's formed by two individual and overlapping triangles. Um, you can get a, there is a thing called a unicursal hexagram, which can be drawn in one movement, which is why it's been adopted by some magical traditions. In hermetic symbolism, the hexagram can be found everywhere from the, the Star of David, the Tree of Life, as well as the Hagal Rune. And it's also representative of the union of polar forces, so positive, negative, masculine and feminine, earth and sky, force and form, spirit and matter interlocking in perfect harmony. As the saying from Hermes goes, as above, so below. The symbol's also meant to represent man as being um, in between the earth and the cosmos and perfect harmony, hence why it's normally attributed to Tiferet at the centre of the tree of life. Although it's an expression of positive and negative forces, it does not mean this in a literal sense. Rather, it's a way of expressing different charges of energy and how it kind of combines together. So how the opposing forces together are combined and through that marriage, um, you know, creation is formed. From a historical point of view, the origins of the hexagram are not known. However, we, if we look at the symbol of it, the shape of it... Um, it exists in nature everywhere. So, for example, if we look at physics, the atom is made with positive particles known as protons and the negative particles known as electrons. Electrons bond with protons in order to find balance, um, which is known as chemical union. Um, you also get hexagons in beehives and also in carbon, where the molecular structure is a hexagon with carbon atoms at each end. And you also see the symbol in snowflakes as well as other places in nature. And this is something that Jacob Bronowski writes about when he says the following. The force that makes the winter grow its feathers hexagons of snow 
and drives the bees to match at home. Their calculated honeycomb is abacus and rose combined. An icy sweetness fills my mind, a sense that under thing and wing lies, taut yet living, coiled the spring. The planet Saturn also, um, apparently, from my research, uh, has a cloud shaped over its north pole that's shaped like a hexagon, and each side of Saturn's hexagons measure more than the Earth's diameter. So it's quite interesting, that point of view of it being a symbol of um, planetary forces, but also you know, the, obviously the symbol of Saturn and the hexagram, hexagram and it being this kind of idea of um, kind of restriction, but also sort of protection. So it's quite interesting from that point of view. There was an interesting experiment conducted by researchers at the Technical University of Denmark in Lingby, and um, they actually created several shapes by spinning water at different speeds. So they poured water into buckets and set the buckets to spin. And the shape started to appear at about seven revolutions per second. And in lower speeds, the first shape that appeared was a triangle. Then as the speeds increased, the shapes also changed. And then with increased speed, the triangle actually changes into a square, then a pentagon. And then actually at the highest speed, the resulting shape was a hexagon. So quite interesting. I mean, I don't think we know a huge amount of why that happens. It could be something to do with gravitational pull with the earth i would imagine um but uh yeah it could be all of these things you know it's in nature it's out there it's in you know water in snow etc so it's probably why you know these symbols like a triangle a square an octagon came to be seen as sacred symbols because people see them in nature and it's you know nature is meant to be this kind of perfected um divine from a religious and sacred point of view, the similar the hexagram has been used in different religious and cultural contexts and many different religious groups, from you know Hinduism to Judaism and also Christianity. It's also likely that the symbol was used in ancient Egypt. However, um, one of the earliest representations of the symbol that we can find is a Mandela symbol that was found on ancient South Indian temples, representing the Nara Narayana or the perfect meditative state of balance between man and God. And if the form was maintained, it would result in a kind of spiritual awakening or release from the bonds of the earth and its material trappings. And the shape's also been found in Hinduism, Buddhism and Jainism. So within Indic law, the shape is all is understood to consist of two triangles, one pointed up, the other down, locked in this harmonious embrace. And the two components are known as the Om and the Khim in Sanskrit and symbolise man's position between earth and sky. The downward triangle symbolises Shakti, the sacred embodiment of the feminine, and the upward triangle symbolising Shiva or Agni Tattva, representing the focused aspects of man masculinity. The mystical union of the two triangles represents creation, so it's occurring through the divine union of male and female. The two locked triangles are also known as Shanmukha, the six face, representing the six faces of Shiva and Shakti's progeny, Kartikeya. The symbol is also part of the several Yatantras and it has quite a lot of deep significance and relation with regards to different Hindu ritual worship and history. In Buddhism, it's also used in some versions of the Bardo Thodol, which is the Tibetan Book of the Dead, and we see the symbol of the hexagram 
with a swastika in it, and this is known as the origin of phenomena Kos Kibungnas and is connected with um, Vajra Yogini and forms a central part of her mandala. So worth checking that out if you're interested. Uh, this Shatkona is a symbol that's also used in Hindu Yantra that represents the union of male and female forms and also represents the Purusha or the Supreme Being, Mother Nature or the Shiva Shakti. It's also um, used in more modern forms with regards to uh, a representative or symbol of the um, within the chakra system. So you have like the Anahata Puri or the Padma Sundara, which is symbolized by a lotus flower with 12 petals um, related to the heart chakra. Obviously, we did an episode on the chakras and, um, you know, the modern form is not exactly how it would have been originally. Um, so it, it's... I'm not an expert on the chakras, I wouldn't say. Um, so it's debatable whether or not that's original or whether it's kind of something that was, that's been added on, um, you know, by people like Arthur Avalon, etc. and Serpent Power. Um, but um, yeah, someone who knows more about that than me will probably be able to answer that question. Um, in Jewish traditions, obviously, it's very important. It's the, the symbol of Israel. Um, it's the Magan David and or Star of David. And, you know, the, again, this is something I'm not going to go into a lot of detail because I know it's quite political, but um, it's likely that that started around in the Middle Ages. Um, however, there's archaeological evidence to suggest it might have been before that in the sort of third or fourth century Galilee. In Christianity, the symbol is also found in several churches and stained glass windows and is sometimes known as the Star of Creation. And there's a really nice example of that um, by Nicholas Pevsner in Winchester Cathedral, which was uh, from 1308. If, if anyone's ever in the UK, um, they should definitely check out Winchester Cathedral because it's a particularly magical place. Um, I used to spend a lot of time walking around there doing meditation. Um, actually, in the in the cathedral itself, it's got a very, very kind of powerful feeling to it. So check it out if you are over in the UK. Also, within the Muslim tradition, the symbol... Um, in Arabic, is known as the Khatem Suleiman, or the Seal of Solomon. Um, we did kind of cover that a little bit in our episode on the Ring of Solomon. However, in essence, the seal was meant to have been a signet ring, which was worn by King Solomon, which either had a pentagram or a hexagram engraved on it. We're not 100% sure which. This ring is meant to have given Solomon the power to command demons, jinn, and spirits, as well as the ability to talk to different animals. Um... This is probably why, you know, these symbols, pentagram and hexagram, have both been kind of given this idea of representing protection. And the king, the, the ring that King Solomon was meant to have had was made of brass and iron and had it engraved upon it. And it had two triangles interlaced to give the appearance of a dimensional figure. So very much the symbol where it's kind of an interlocking shape. And apparently, according to legend, the shape was interlaced. So this is meant to have made the demons confused and and um, not able to do Solomon harm. So it's kind of like this, almost like a, almost like one of those magic eye paintings or something. Now you look at it and it makes your eyes funny. So you can imagine that this it's kind of almost like a technological solution through the shape that he used. That so it's worth something to think about. Um, 
The legend of the symbol as being from Solomon is probably also why it moved into the Kabbalistic tradition and the Hermetic tradition. For instance, it's mentioned, it's mentioned in the grimoire known as the Heptameron, as the pentacle to protect the magician. And since then, it's really kind of become a symbol that's a central piece in esoteric and occult work and continues to this day. Um, so, for instance, in the 17th century, um, Robert Flood produced a drawing of the world. And in the, in the drawing, it's worth checking this out online, um, God is seen as an upright triangle and the physical world is his reflection and downward pointing, which is worth checking out. Um, created universe as the reflection of God. And the um, and also another point on that is um, Eliphas Levi in the 19th century produced his great seal of Solomon, the double triangle of Solomon, which shows the two ancients of the Kabbalah. So you have the macroprosopus and the microprosopus the God of light and the God of reflections of mercy and vengeance. And he writes, The double triangle of Solomon represented by the ancients of the Kabbalah, the macroprosopus and the microprosopus, the God of light and the God of reflections of mercy and vengeance, the white Jehovah and the black Jehovah. From the point of view of the Kabbalistic symbolism, um, as we've seen, the hexagram itself is illustrative of opposites, and in its classic form, it combines the red upright triangle of fire with the blue triangle of water. If we project the shape onto the tree of life, it includes the Sephiroth 3 through 9, um, obviously without Dart and Binar. But, so the third Sephiroth Binar, Saturn, is not actually touched by the upper, uppermost point of the hexagram. Um, so it kind of reaches up to the abyss and touches the Sephiroth Dart. However, Dart and Binar are generally kind of interchanged in relation to the symbolism of the hexagram. Um, and the area covered by the hexagram itself is really attributed to the third Kabbalistic world of Yetzirah and the vow of the Tetragrammaton. If we think back to our episode on the Tetragrammaton, the story is the princess, Hey, final, is basically exiled in the microcosmic world and needs to be awakened by the kiss of vow who is uh, representative of the macrocosmic world, and then their union results in this in this kind of process of becoming the supernal queen, and the prince becoming Yod. So it's very much this kind of idea of redemption, and illumination, and and also kind of deep deep change and transformation, which is very much kind of the watchword of initiation. And in this point, the the vow is is representative of the HGA, um, and the first phase of the great work is really to unite the magician with the HGA. From that point of view, so you're doing all that work with the elements to unite with the higher self in Tiferet. So when we perform the lesser banishing ritual of the pentagram, and then we do the lesser ritual of the hexagram. We are kind of symbolically reenacting that process. So that story of the Tetragrammaton uniting the princess, uniting with the prince. So what does that mean for us as magicians? Well, as magicians, one of the first things we, we aim to do is to begin the process to know thyself. So this can really be seen in the symbol of the hexagram. If we look at the shape pointing downward, it can symbolize the searching aspects of ourselves that must delve deep into our shadow our flaws and our weaknesses to find the gold. 
at the same time, we have this higher aspect of ourselves that is constantly being elevated. The process of destruction and renewal is continuous. And like the Ouroboros, we are never done just continually changing and becoming something new. As magicians, we sit at the crossroads between the upper and the lower state, in a state of eternal now, eternal oneness, the infinite moment. Thanks very much for joining us this week on the Occult London Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. If you have any questions for me, then please reach out via Facebook or email, as I'd love to answer them. My email is occultlondonpodcast at gmail.com. Also, really want to develop this further, so if you can rate the show or leave us a review, that would be great, as more people can see it and hopefully get some value from it. Also, be sure to visit our website at occultlondon.co.uk, where you can subscribe to the show. Thank you very much, and speak to you soon.